As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, I feel like if we've learned one thing over the past year or two, it's that supply chains rule everything <laughs> around us. Yes, that that's exactly right. Everything, I mean, <laughs> you can't talk, I've been, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, actually, which is that you really can't talk about a good, any sort of good, whether it's a washing machine or a piece of lumber for a house or something like that without talking about the system that brings it. And mm -hmm. so, to some, to some extent, even to talk about like goods and services as distinct categories of economic spending or whatever is kind of a fallacy because in the end, there is nothing without the services that brought the good to you or brought <laughs> the good to the factory or brought the sort of like uh, the parts to the factory. It's all intertwined. I agree with that. So one of the things that we're realizing right now is that supply chains also play a very, very big role in military conflicts. And, you know, to some extent, I guess that would be expected because in a military conflict, essentially you're moving lots of goods and people from one area yeah. into another area. But in another sense, it's kind of surprising when you read headlines along the lines of shortage of pallets is hampering Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Right. There have been a lot of people talking about how, like, wars are very big exercises in supply chains and logistics planning. And I guess it stands to reason, but it's not something that had occurred to me uh, up until very recently, that a lot of the uh, supply chain stresses that we're seeing across the economy would also affect the ability of uh, nations to conduct war, which, of course, needs a lot of metal and other goods and food and energy and oil, and the same thing everyone else needs. And there was a, uh, there was a Twitter thread by uh, uh, talking about pallets. And of course, we've talked about pallets. We have indeed. So I'm pleased to say we are going to be continuing our conversation about pallets in today's episode, but we are going to be focusing on military applications of pallets, which there are a bunch, apparently. Uh, we are bringing back Marshall White. He is, of course, a professor emeritus at Virginia Tech and uh, you know, considered America's leading expert on wooden pallets. So uh, Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Tracy, Joe, thank you very much for having me back. Thanks for coming on. 
Yeah, absolutely. So maybe just to begin, can you explain what exactly, uh, what role do pallets play in, uh, in the military, in offense slash defense? You know, I work with the corporate world in supply chain efficiency design and the role of the pallet, which of course is the interface between all of the materials handling equipment and the product being shipped. So it's, the component is critical, and, and thus I've devoted an entire career to it. But there's a, there's a difference in the goals and objectives of uh, military supply chains and corporate commerce supply chains. In the corporate world, we're continually focused on reducing cost, hmm. keeping it as lean as possible, but still versatile and reliable. So that's cost reduction. The military is very different. Number one priority is what they call preparedness. That is making sure the soldiers are prepared on the battlefield and therefore getting them what they need when they need. And cost, and and I appreciate this, is a secondary issue in the military supply chain. So when you look at designs and efficiencies, there are significant differences between military and corporate commerce supply chains. Um, and then, 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 if I might just continue yeah. by saying that the way we uh, make either supply chain more efficient is we delay as much as possible downstream the handling of eaches. In, in the case of the military, individual boxes of munitions. What you want to do is unitize as far down the supply chain as you can, quite frankly, as the military says, onto the integrated battlefield. You want palletized products all the way down. That's how you gain efficiency. Hmm. Ironically, it's the same in the military world as in the commerce world and those we design. But we will have very specialized equipment to do this in the military. I'm not an expert on Russian supply chains, but I've worked with our military uh, both the Department of Army and the Department of Navy in supply in 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 designing components of the supply chains. So that's how I respond in a general sense to the differences between mm. military and commerce, but also the similarities. And and one more comment: yeah. you both are absolutely correct. Supply chains win wars, and and I think it's Dwight Eisenhower who made that quote back at the end of World War II. You know, it's really interesting, uh, this point, and I hadn't really connected it, that fundamentally uh, military supply chain strategy is going to be a little different and less focused on cost. And of course, sometimes that's infamous. I recall in the 1980s, there was the huge scandal of uh, the Pentagon purchasing $900 ashtrays for airplanes. And that seemed excessive to everyone, and it probably was, but there was like some argument that, you know, you couldn't just have a typical glass ashtray on an airplane um, because, you know, in a dangerous situation, it could shatter and create all kinds of problems. Still, $900 seemed excessive, but it does seem as though military procurement, military goals are clearly not about uh, cost. For the vendors into the military supply chain, for the experts and consultants, how does that sort of like change the thinking uh, in terms of uh, what the military needs 
It, it, you know, it does dramatically. Now, don't get me wrong. The military is focused on cost, but it, it, and it is part of the priority, but it's not the highest priority, as I mentioned. Okay, so in our world of pallets, there are standard munition pallets. Hmm. The uh, 1085 uh, pallet that's been around for a long, long time, it's a wood pallet. Um, something a little bit different, though, uh, we had a research project with the Department of Army here at Virginia Tech years ago to, quote, harden the wood pallet. And what we mean by hardening it is, is to make it so you could decontaminate it from chemical or biological uh, weapons uh, in this theater um, uh, of war or um, uh, radioactive fallout and dust. Um, and, and to that end, um, we developed a procedure of treating wood pallets so that they could be easily decontaminated of these weapons on the future. And you have to understand a, a chemical weapon is delivered as an aerosol through the air. And, um, and generally, it is designed to soak into tissue. I mean, I mean these are very, very lethal mm, weapons. Wow. And by the way, we, we, in the news, we heard a little bit about concern of these weapons use of mass destruction in this theater. I certainly hope it never happens. Mm. But that's give you one difference here. <laughs> and that is a performance level of a pallet is very different that can be decontaminated. Now, obviously, in commerce. That's not necessary right. in the corporate world. So there are differences. Uh, the chemical agent resistant coating, which you see on all the military vehicles, uh, that's the purpose of that coating. It could not work on wood pallets. We had to get a different, different treatment. But um, that coating is used on almost everything so that should these weapons be used, the area around these soldiers can be easily decontaminated. So there are some very significant performance differences. Can you go into that a little bit more? So obviously, pallets matter for a military conflict. And the U.S. Army seems to be actively thinking about this because they're investing in particular coatings that will protect pallets from chemical or, um, I guess, nuclear fallout, that sort of thing. What are we actually seeing in, in Russia in terms of its pallet capabilities? And how do they differ from uh, an army like the, the U.S. Army? And, and what does it mean for um, the Russian army's efficiency? Yeah, again, I'm going to have to be careful here, mm -hmm. Tracy, right. in, in claiming to have an expertise in the supply chain, the military supply chain of, of the Russians. I, I really don't know. I saw the images mm -hmm. on roads that we've all seen of these stalled vehicles, right, on these roads in, in the Ukraine or outside the Ukraine leading into the Ukraine. It indicates to me clearly, uh, to anyone, that's a failed supply chain. Uh, for one reason or another, fuels weren't delivered, and, and so these vehicles are stalled. Clearly, those vehicles were intended to be part of a supply chain to transport stores and munitions. I mean, that's what the military moves. Munitions, I think you understand what those are, but stores are everything else. Clothes, shoes, hmm. food, those are what's called stores. And, and that looks to be a, a clear failure. Now, I don't know. I didn't get close-ups on the vehicles. Uh, I did read the article uh, that you you cite regarding 
pallet use. Listen, uh, wood pallets used in, in Russia uh, in commerce are similar to what we use here. There's nothing different. Uh, perhaps they're metric in dimensions but compared to U.S. customary units, but, but they're the same availability of pallets could be a problem in this Russian supply chain. I cannot comment as to why that is. Okay, I find it strange. Maybe lack of planning. Um, but, but, but to take, and I don't want to bend your ear too much for, for the listeners, but take, take the U.S. military. They have specialized equipment. The, 10, the M1075 is a vehicle that literally takes palletized loads all the way to the soldier on the uh, on, on the battlefield. It's a rough terrain vehicle. It's uh, you can find it uh, described on the internet. These are extremely efficient ways to deliver munitions and stores all the way downstream. Again, the key is to stay as far away from handling each little box independently, which we saw in some of those articles you you cited that the Russians are having to do. It indicates clearly some inefficiencies in their supply can, chains and movements. Can you actually explain that a little bit further? And for listeners, there's actually a Wikipedia page on the M1075 and other palletized load system trucks for the United States Army. So you can pull that mm -hmm. up while you're listening. But can you just expand on that last point? Uh, what do you mean by like uh, – you just clarify and build out what you're seeing and what's a bad way of handling uh, munitions and stores. If you have 90 boxes on a pallet and they're consolidated on a pallet, one could assume uh, – set aside cost of handling equipment. Yeah. But one can assume it's 900 times more efficient than handling each individual box. Right. Right. And so eventually, yes. at some point, you have to handle that munition. But now here's another story. And, and I just uh, I enjoyed so much working with the military and, and learned a lot from them about logistics. You know, the 120 millimeter shell in the tank, a rearmed tank, if you do it manually, loading boxes uh, to the tank and then loading and rearming the tank could take 30, 40 minutes. The system of tubes and resupply is automatic. You can resupply 120-millimeter tank in five minutes. That's mm. how efficient these processes and devices are mm. that the military uses. Now take the Navy. Okay, the Navy has this whole group of what they call Lewis and Clark over-the-water resupply vessels. These are warehouses on the water. Uh, hmm. handling unit loads, palletized loads. You, you, if you walk into the Lewis and Clark, uh, the holds, the stowage holds in there, looks like a warehouse, highly automated, ASRS, automatic stacking retrieval systems, robots inside these vessels. The efficiencies are remarkable. And as Eisenhower said, you know, supply chains win wars. He, take Dwight Eisenhower, president in the 50s. What did he do? He put in the interstate highway system. He thinks logistics. Hmm. He thought and understood how important the interstate highway system was going to be to commerce in this country. Uh, goes way back. A little bit of a history lesson. Love it. <laughs>
As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the last time we had you on, Mark, I think it was in December to talk about the general shortage of pallets and uh, the fact that prices had gone up quite a lot. I, I think they were, they used to be something like, nine or twelve dollars per wooden pallet and back in december they'd gotten up to something like fifteen dollars per pallet there's another supply chain strain that emanates from the uh, the russian invasion of ukraine and that is that apparently ukraine exports a lot of the wood used to make wooden pallets and so for instance uh, before we started the show I saw the the European Federation of Wooden Pallet and Packaging Manufacturers. They basically warned that the conflict in Ukraine is expected to cause significant pressures on the supply of wood and therefore pallets and packaging. Is that something that's on your radar? Yeah, you know, that is really fascinating. This is something I learned. Um, the the eastern part of the Ukraine is a wood breadbasket. I, I was I was uh, astounded to learn from, uh, for example, a client I have in the Czech Republic, where they said, "Mark, and this, this is not the military now." They said, "You've got to realize hmm. we have lost that entire source of wood, and it was critical to Europe that supply of wood." So your point is well made. Um, I don't expect uh, uh, the Russian supply chain to depend on indigenous collecting of pallets. Maybe they are okay there. But yes, uh, so goes wood supplies. So goes the pallet supply. Is that, is that a global fungible market? Is the, if, if, if Europe is facing a pallet shortage because European countries get a lot of their wood from uh, Ukrainian uh, timber, Will that theoretically, if it becomes acute enough, spill over into either availability or price in the United States? Don't think so. We are a wood breadbasket. Clearly, we have had historically the last time I was on, you know, you, you asked why the prices, the right. supply and demand. But these, the, the, the lumber industry that feeds the wood pallet industry is rubber band. Uh, they can come back online relatively quickly. And with housing demand still fairly high, right. we have a lot of woods available here. I don't believe that's the case. The other thing, when wood supplies become critical in a region or a country, and this was true of the U.S., over the years uh, in the past decades, what do they do? They go elsewhere in the world and import. Um does that increase the price of the pallet? Sure it does. Sure it does. 
But it is remarkable how resilient long-term, long-term uh, wood supplies are uh, to a huge consuming sector like the wood pallet sector. Will there be interim times in which there is some impact on supply and demand? Yes. But uh, we're seeing uh, the prices of pallets stabilize now in this country. Hmm. And one of the reasons is the clear adaptation of the uh, raw material side of that supply chain. Hmm. So, um, yes, short term, my friends, for example, in the Czech Republic and Melnick, that company uh, told me, yeah, it's, it's hurting them short term. Uh, they're a veneer company, so they're buying very high quality logs. But uh, long term, actually, one of the reasons I'm working with them is to bring those logs in from the U.S. Hmm. Sorry, can you go into prices in a little bit more detail? So I, I mentioned back in December, I, th I think prices were at almost $15 a pallet, something like that. You say they're stabilizing at, at what level and how how low do you think they, they might go or how long might, might it take to normalize? Yeah, supply and demand, is it's still tight. It is still tight. So when I said stabilize, they moderated at that level. Okay. Will they come back in price? Very slowly. Will we recover, let's say, the $10 to $15? No, that's not going to happen. Uh, it, that is more the nature of the market. Okay. Um, it, uh, just like oil prices, uh, the price of barrel goes down. Maybe it takes a little while to reach the pump. It's the same in the pallet sector. Okay. There will be a lag. So when I say that the prices have moderated or stabilized, excuse me, that is correct. How much have they come down? Only a little. Hmm. How much will they come down? A little bit more than a little. Okay. <laughs> As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Other than uh, prices, is there anything that this whole period of intense stress on either pallet companies or users of pallets are going to that will lead to fundamental change either in terms of construction techniques to become more efficient or usage techniques are there any productivity gains that we're going to see come out of this in your view that will uh, pay off lasting dividends even after this sort of like intense supply chain uh, imbalance that we're seeing yeah i think we see a migration towards more reusables mm -hmm. uh, i think it makes sense 
And to make reusables, even in the world of pallets, work, we have to manage them. That becomes a key. Okay, so we're going to see that continued uh, expansion of reusables in the case of wood pallets like the rental pallet. They, they Chep and, and Peco have been having trouble keeping up with the number of issues. Okay, that's fine. But those pallets are reused. And of course, in the plastics and the non-wood, we continue to see that growth. Okay, so yes, I think we'll see a trend towards more reusables slowly in this world. And that does enhance efficiencies, okay? If you can manage them and not lose them. In this Mm. big country, in this big country, that's a challenge. But I think that's one of the things we are going to see uh, occur. Well, uh, Mark, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you so much for coming back on Oblots. Really appreciate your your insights into military applications of uh, pallets. Thank you. Tracy, Joe, it's been my pleasure. So, Joe, that was a fun catch-up with Professor White. It is amazing how all these supply chains just operate in the background, sort of hidden, and you never really think about them until something actually happens, and then suddenly they come to the forefront. Absolutely. And it's interesting, like, look, we don't really have tremendous visibility into many aspects of the current war, let alone the specifics of Russian pallet supply. I mean, I think a lot of people are just uh, speculating. But based on some of the images and the broader issues, it stands to reason that this is like a source of stress uh, uh, for the military as it is for many others. And thinking about like some of these principles at play about unitizing um, military goods, palletizing them, and whether that's being done effectively and how important that is to the sort of execution of a war is uh, is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, it wouldn't be the first time that a battle is won or lost yeah. based on supply chain issues. And you do see some of these photos of Russian soldiers bringing out boxes from yeah. tanks and trucks and things like that. And it does seem like they're, I don't want to say disorganized, but it pallets do seem to be missing from some of those images. Seems It seems extremely inefficient. It's also just interesting, like, think, hearing uh, Mark uh, talk about the sort of the differences in uh, working with the military versus mm. both in terms of, uh, you know, just the priorities are different. It's not always about finding the absolute cheapest and there are issues of sustainability and durability and uh, being able to weather different kinds of uh, environmental conditions than a commercial pallet. So... Very interesting to uh, get a little bit of taste. It's not our normal thing, but to get a little bit of taste for how the supply chain story fits within the military context. Yeah, also wild to uh, to hear about the U.S. Army developing a coating for yeah. military pallets yeah, really to protect from chemical warfare. Absolutely. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. A big thanks to our producers, Colin Tipton and Magnus Henriksen. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcast, Francesca Levy at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening.
Laird, Joe Weisenthal, and Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about, Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.